0: All right, let's do this. Romans chapter 9. We're going to look at verses 14 through 18 tonight, Lord willing. Romans 9, verse 14 through 18. Has anyone ever broken a promise they made to you? Of course they have. Has God ever broken a promise that he has made to you? Well, of course, he hasn't. It seemed, however, to the first century Jews in Rome and throughout the empire that God had indeed broken his promise, especially his promise to Abraham. That promise, called the Abrahamic Covenant, is really a set of promises. Among other things, it promises unconditionally that Israel will continue as a nation, that she will bless all the nations of the world and possess the land that God promised her forever. Instead of those things, the Jews Paul was addressing saw God setting the nation of Israel aside in favor of the Gentiles. They cried foul. Well, actually, they cried unrighteous. They accused God of unrighteousness. And so in verse 14, Paul says, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. God is righteousness, so it is just not possible for God to act unrighteously the righteousness of God is evident in the way he consistently acts in accord with his own character His every action is consistent with his character He is always it sounds kind of funny, but God is always godly He's not defined by the term righteous as much as the term righteous is identified by God Whatever God does is righteous. He can only act righteously God is not measured by a standard of righteousness. He is the standard of righteousness. Paul, I love Paul. Sometimes he simply told people they were wrong in the way that they thought about God. He says, are you accusing God of being unrighteous? That's not possible. You certainly must defend what you believe from Scripture, and he will, but don't overlook the nature and the character of God in your thinking. If your study of the word or some system of theology based on the word comes to a conclusion that in any way demeans the nature or the character of God, it's just wrong. You know, it's possible for human beings to come to wrong conclusions. Did you know that? It happens all the time, even smart people. And so if you end up at a conclusion that seems to demean the character of God, the nature of God, just doesn't seem like the God of the Bible, Uh, get rid of it and work yourself back uh, to the nature and the character of God. Now, in the case before us, we would say it is just not possible for God to break his unconditional covenant with Abraham. And by the way, all Christians would agree with this. The disagreement is whether God still intends to keep his unconditional covenant with the physical descendants of Abraham or if he has totally transferred it only to the spiritual descendants of Abraham. That's the argument. While we certainly understand that New Testament believers are the spiritual descendants of Abraham, that in no way cancels out God's promises to the physical descendants of Abraham. The spiritual descendants of Abraham, like you and I, we inherit the parts of the Abrahamic covenant that apply to the Gentiles. God will still keep his promises to the Jews, He must keep them because he is God and he is righteous and there's no unrighteousness with God. Now, Paul is giving the Jews scriptural precedence for God's present dealings with his chosen people. He wasn't being unrighteous with them. He was acting just as he had always acted without breaking any promises to them at all. And so verse 15, he launches into an example. He says, for he says to Moses... I'll have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. Now this quote from the book of Exodus, it comes after the Jews had sinned by worshiping the golden calf. The law had scarcely been given to Moses when he returned from Mount Sinai and he heard the sound of partying in the camp. It was a drunken, perverse orgy fueled by idolatry as they danced around a golden calf that Aaron had fashioned for the occasion. And I can never think of this without just thinking about Aaron when, when his brother Moses busted him. He said, I don't know. I threw a bunch of gold in the fire and this calf came out. And, and um, I, you know, this is the same lame excuse we always give for ourselves. So I, I don't know. It just, I don't know what happened. I don't know how that happened. Yeah, yeah, you do. You just, you know, Aaron, come on. Just, you made a golden calf, buddy. Uh, and, and so that's the situation. That's the, the where the quote comes from. Moses, you remember, he smashed the tablets of stone upon which the finger of God had written the Ten Commandments. A very fitting, obvious illustration, since the people had broken the law, so it might as well be broken Physically, as well as a a, a sign to them. Afterwards, Moses went to God to plead for the Jews. And you remember, obviously, God responded to Moses' pleading by pardoning his sinning nation. Do you see a connection? Well, the Jews would. The Gentiles were drunken, perverse idolaters upon whom God, now in mercy, was showering. His love. First century Jew looked around at Gentiles, drunken, perverse, pagan idolaters, and they were getting saved because of the mercy of God. He was only doing for the Gentiles what he had long ago done for the Jews. He was showing them his mercy, undeserved and unmerited. There wouldn't really be much of a nation of Israel if God hadn't treated them mercifully right out of the gate. Right right as soon as they got to the Ten Commandments and they're saying they, they were acting like Gentiles. And so Paul, you remember through all of Romans 9, he's making these fantastic comparisons to show the Jews that God is acting consistently with his nature. And so to accuse God of acting unrighteously in extending his mercy beyond Israel to Gentiles was to deny his faithfulness to often unfaithful Israel. It was to... It was, it was that mindset people get into that I deserve to be treated with mercy and those people don't. I deserve it because I'm a Jew. I'm, I'm one of the chosen people and those people are not. And, and so they were, uh, they were accusing God of unrighteousness and setting them aside and dealing mercifully with Gentiles. Now verse 16, so then it is not of him who wills nor of him who runs but of God who shows mercy. What do wills and runs mean in this verse? They're they're kind of uh, odd words, really. Well, running, if we start there, uh, they obviously go together. Running would refer to exerting effort to win a race. Willing, therefore, would refer to an understanding or a mindset that you were definitely a contestant in the race. And so you you, you have an understanding. The person he's describing has an understanding that they're a contestant in a race uh, trying to get to the finish, So I think the one who wills and who runs is the Jew. Remember, Paul is talking to these uh, uh, converted Jews about what God is doing in, uh, in the nation of Israel and towards the Gentiles. From birth, a Jew willed, or he believed he was in the running to receive God's blessing by virtue of his ethnicity. Thus he ran towards the goal by observing the law. The practical result of this was a belief that because you were a Jew, God must shower his blessing upon you while simultaneously withholding them from all the non-Jews. And so now that you get to the point where God had said really to the Jews at the end of the book of Acts through Paul that hey, the gospel, you know your heart has hardened, God is turning away from you as a nation temporarily and the gospel's going out to the Gentile, you're crying foul, you're crying unrighteous. Because you're, you're the willing participant in this race that you, your nation has been running uh, for centuries. And, and you see, uh, on the surface at least, you think God has abandoned you. But God's mercy is not reserved for those who think they deserve it and work for it. No, God can extend his mercy to anyone, and he does. And this is so interesting to me, just to pause for a moment, because some people read this verse and they somehow conclude that God is restricting his mercy. That he shows it only to a select group. That he says, well, I'll show mercy to whomever I want. And really, it's only just a few people I've chosen from out of all of humanity. But in reality, the context here, the Jew understands that God has an expansive mercy. He's showing mercy beyond Israel and they think it's unfair. It's a, it's a little bit of a, kind of a Jonah situation here where God said to Jonah I want you to go preach to Nineveh and the real reason Jonah turned the other way is he did not want the Ninevites to get saved he hated the Assyrians he couldn't stand those people they hated Israel they persecuted Israel when, when you're a prophet and the call comes to you to go to, to, to Nineveh you don't, he just didn't want to do it because he knew what? He knew that God would be merciful with them if they repented and God had to get his attention in a very powerful way. And so this is sort of what's happening. I believe in this verse, it's not a restriction of God's mercy and it's expansion of it. The Jew would understand this to mean, hey, you're being merciful to more people than we understand how you can do that because you made these promises to Abraham, to our nation, and we don't understand this. That's what the Jews thought, and they were wrong. And so I would say anybody who sees this in this verse, a restriction of God's mercy, just as wrong as a first century Jew. Clearly indicates a broader application. Paul is telling the Jews, God's mercy was never restricted to them because it can't be willed or worked for. We saw way earlier in this chapter, it was a wonderful thing to be a Jew. They had many privileges that Gentiles didn't have but it didn't mean that Gentiles couldn't be saved. In fact, the whole uh, there was a whole push in, you know, uh, the Pentateuch towards the Jews being a light and a witness to the Gentiles and bringing them the knowledge of God. God's mercy is for whomever. God's compassion is for whomever. Whomever is one of those big words. It's a broad word. It's an inclusive word. We would say mercy and compassion are available to whomever or whosoever believes in him. Now, all this talk from the book of Exodus reminded Paul of the Egyptian Pharaoh. Verse 17, for the scripture says to the Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Pharaoh, of course, was a Gentile who persecuted God's people, the Jews. He held a privileged position but hardened his heart, resulting in God being glorified when he delivered his people. Centuries later, it's the non-believing Jews who were persecuting God's people, the church. They held a privileged position, but they hardened their hearts at the preaching of the gospel. God was being glorified in delivering his people, the church, comprised of many Gentiles. You read in Romans 11.25 in the New International Version, Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And so there's a a comparison between what Israel was doing in the first century and what Pharaoh had done to Israel centuries earlier. The Jews were acting and reacting to the mercy of God upon Gentiles exactly as Pharaoh had acted and reacted when God wanted to show mercy to his enslaved people. Paul is really laying it on you if you're a Jew here. Earlier in this chapter, he said... You think you're acting like Ishmael rather than Isaac, you're acting like Esau rather than Jacob, not exactly Jewish heroes. And now he says, you're acting like Pharaoh rather than Moses. I mean, you know, you'd have to hang your head with shame at the thought. And if you were a saved Jew many of those he's addressing, of course are he's writing to the church at Rome this would begin to humble you and begin to understand that. God's mercy is much greater, much broader, much fuller than you had ever thought before, much more inclusive. That God wasn't through with the nation of Israel, Paul is going to get to that in chapters 10 and 11, but you, you had no reason to accuse God of unrighteousness, to think that there was something wrong in his dealings with you. Romans 9, 18, Therefore he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills, he hardens. Now what does it mean, whom he wills, he hardens? Well, we usually choose one of two positions regarding God's hardening of Pharaoh's heart. It's not hard to figure out what they are, they're extremes. Either God hardened Pharaoh's heart to reveal his glory, and Pharaoh had no real personal free will choice about it, that's one extreme position. Or God confirmed what he foreknew Pharaoh would do, simply stood back and watched Pharaoh harden his heart without any real involvement, and that, too, is an extreme position. Those aren't the only alternatives. Alfred Edersheim, he's a good guy. If you ever, you know, I don't know if you like to go to uh, thrift stores or used bookstores, and 99.5% of the books are by Ellen G. White. I don't know how she can have any following because all of her books are in used bookstores. Have you ever noticed that? They're all by and G. White, and nobody, you know, so I guess that's a good thing. They ought to just be burned, but, but uh, the ones that aren't by Ellen G. White, occasionally there's a Christian book that's not the late great planet Earth by Hal Lindsey, uh, which that's a good read, is take it with a grain of salt. I got saved watching the movie, but... Uh, Anyway, uh, there, if you ever see an Alfred Edersheim book, buy it for me if you don't want it. You know, he's, so you have to go in there with a list of certain authors or publishers, uh, usually publishers before 1950 but, uh, or so, But you know, and you can find some, some really good books in there. But Edersheim's a good guy. He's done an extensive study of the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. And, and quite simply, he points out that the phrase is used of Pharaoh 20 times of the 20 passages, exactly 10 are ascribed to Pharaoh himself and exactly 10 are ascribed to God. Now, I don't know if, there's a, if that's just a mathematical anomaly or not, but it seems the Scripture is careful and even balanced to ascribe just as much responsibility to Pharaoh for the hardening of his heart as it does to God. The hardening is simultaneous on the part of God and Pharaoh. And so you'll read a verse that says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And then you'll read a verse that said Pharaoh hardened his heart. Now, we don't generally like simultaneous truths. They're not very neat. They don't fit into a system of theology. If I say that, if you ask me who, who hardened his heart, did God harden Pharaoh's heart or did Pharaoh hardened his own heart? I'd say yes. And you don't like that. I mean, tonight you like, oh, yeah, that sounds really profound. But later on, you'll think, that's, I don't know if I like that. Because it must have been God. God must have done it. And then you get yourself, you talk yourself into a corner. Well, no, no, maybe Pharaoh did it, you know, and God, and then, well, that makes God seem weak and all. And, and a lot of these things, you just have to take them at face value. You know, God is revealing Himself to us in the Scripture. And there's some things that are. Really hard to understand, maybe impossible to understand this side of eternity. And as I understand this, this is a simultaneous truth. God hardened Pharaoh's heart and Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And I don't know which came first, the chicken or the egg in this case. Well, Actually, the chicken came first in creation. But as far, you know what I mean, as an idiom, it's an interesting situation. We don't like simultaneous truths, but the Bible says they both happened at the same time. Why can't we accept that? Because we want God to be sovereign to the exclusion of man's free will, or we exalt man's free will to the point where God's sovereignty seems to be in question. We are an either or people. It's hard for us to really hold simultaneous truths in what you might call a tension. it's, It's difficult. We want to understand it so bad. Some people want to understand it so badly that they're willing to jettison one half of the equation and argue that the verses that say what they say don't say what they say. They can't say what they say because these other verses say this and those two things can't be true at the same time when in fact they are. We just saw that God's mercy is for whomever. In verse 18, it says, whom he wills, he hardens and that's presented as the flip side of God having mercy on whomever. If you aren't a recipient of God's mercy, then you will be a recipient of God's hardening. You will harden your heart, and God will simultaneously harden your heart. It's an either or, one thing or the other, for every member of the human race. But it isn't predetermined. Mercy is definitely available, we read here, to whomever until it's too late. And so God will show mercy to whomever That sounds like what? Anybody. If you harden your heart and God is also hardening your heart simultaneously because of the rejection of that mercy, that's the only other alternative. You're either with Israel or you're against them if you're Pharaoh. Uh, and, And so that's what's being talked about here. And so as we conclude this, I don't see in these verses any revelation of God limiting his mercy. Or, or restricting his program of salvation. Quite the opposite. The confusion the Jews were having was because God's mercy was being extended beyond them to the Gentiles. And they thought as a result of that, God must be unrighteous, that he must not be keeping his promise to them. But he was. And, and we'll see how in chapters 10 and 11. The confusion of the Jews Uh, was over this expanding mercy. And so the gospel remains a whosoever will call to receive God's mercy. There's no unrighteousness in God's dealings with Israel as a nation. He will keep his unconditional promises to Abraham's physical descendants. In the meantime, his mercy is extended to all and whosoever will believe find that they are of the spiritual seed of Abraham. Amen? Amen.